0: We got to tear down walls. We got to stop dismissing people. And we got to look for the common denominator that's there. And the common denominator that's there is our hearts. You know, but I think that we forget about that. And I think we can see that ugly reality growing in the world in
1: which we live. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 194. This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, and now here is your host, Doug Smith. What's up, everyone? and Welcome to another episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I am your host. I hope you're doing well. In this episode, you'll hear a question and answer session we had with Bishop David Zubik at an event that we recently hosted, and you'll hear Bishop Zubik share his thoughts on how unity can be possible across denominational lines, how to lead people with opposing views, how to impact the next generation, how to show people you're living your faith how to surround yourself with people who will be honest with you, and he shares about how we can personally pray for him and everything that he's doing. Again, if you haven't listened to Bishop Zubik's talk, you can go back and listen to that in episode number 193, and you can also go back and listen to my interview with Bishop Zubik in episode number 166 if you enjoy this. If you're unfamiliar with Bishop Zubik, uh, just a few things about him in 2003. Pope John Paul II named him the 11th Bishop of the Diocese of Green Bay, and in 2007, he was named by Pope Benedict XVI as the 12th Bishop of Pittsburgh, which is what he still does today. He's currently responsible for 632,000 people in the greater Pittsburgh area. That's right, 632,000 people, and he is actually in the middle of leading them through a huge transition through a movement called On Mission for the Church Alive, and he's done a great job leading that effort so far, and uh, you're just going to love this q Q&A. But before we dive into that, hey, just a few announcements. I want to ask you a question Have you ever wanted to take your life and leadership to the next level? Have you ever desired to be surrounded by a community of leaders that will encourage you, challenge you, hold you accountable, help you reach your potential, and cause you to make a bigger impact? If so, then you need to become a member of L3 Leadership. When you become a member, you'll have the ability to join or launch one of our mastermind groups. You'll have access to our community of over 100 leaders and access to the tools and resources you need to take your life and leadership to the next level. To learn more about membership, go to l3leadership.org forward slash membership. I also want to thank our sponsor, Bab Inc. They're an insurance broker based out of Pittsburgh and led by my friend, Russell Livingston. He has a huge passion for developing next generation leaders, which is why uh, they host our leadership events on a consistent basis. And if your organization has any insurance needs, I encourage you to check them out at babbins.com. That's B-A-B-B-I-N-S.com. With that being said, let's dive right into the Q&A with Bishop Zubik, and I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. (laughs)
0: Bishop, after uh, 500 years of a lot of uh, infighting and strife in the, in the body of Christ, we've seen a resurgence of an ecumenical uh, relationship between a lot of traditions. And here locally in Pittsburgh, you've been personally a huge leader in that ecumenical uh, tradition here. And I just wanted to know how you work with leaders of other traditions and get them all in the same room that you've been so successful, and how we as leaders can get people of many traditions all focused on the same exact goal. Thank you. Uh, I think that uh, the first thing that we have to uh, address is the reality, the ugly reality, that there is a growing intolerance in the world in which we live for people who think differently than we do or are different. And I think, once again, we have to go back to what I said in my, my reflection, that we've got to be able to see things with the eyes of justice, the mind and the heart of God. And so that basically means that uh, for Christian, we need to be able to look at the other person whom we see as if they're Christ, and we have to treat them as if we're Christ. And so I just think that it's so very important that uh, we can't so much focus on the, uh, the differences and sometimes the sharp differences that exist among us. But we've got to take a look at those bridges that we can, in fact, build with each other. Um, there's a story uh, the day uh, that uh, I was announced that I was going to be the new Bishop of Pittsburgh, which was on Ju- July uh, 18th of ni- 2007. The next day I was heading back to Green Bay because I was still going to be Bishop there for uh, two and a half more months. Uh, I was uh, praying the, the Catholic uh, uh, prayer of the rosary, uh, and there was a guy sitting next to me, and when I was finished he said oh are you afraid to fly and I said heck no I said you know I fly you know uh, thousands and thousands of miles every day I said I just do that because my first journey of the day I always pray the rosary and I said to him, well then uh, you must uh, you must be a Catholic if you know what the rosary is and he said I once was not anymore I'm now a Buddhist and I was kind of surprised at his answer and I said well I said that's quite a transition like what happened and he said, uh, "To tell you the truth, he said, I really believe in Jesus. I just have never seen anybody who says they believe in Him who acts like Him." And that was an answer to the prayer about what my leadership had to be in the, in the church of Pittsburgh. And that's why when, when I came back to do my uh, my opening homily at my installation, I raised the question: Are you excited about your faith? And that's what put us on on mission for the church alive, which says we gotta tear down walls. We 've got to stop dismissing people, and we've got to look for the common denominator that's there, and the common denominator that's there is our hearts. You know, but I think that we forget about that, and I think we can see that ugly reality growing in the world in which we live. So I can tell you that you know Bishop Quicereau, who's the, the, the Bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church uh, in our area, and myself worked. Uh, worked hard to be able to observe the Reformation and the 500th anniversary. And there are a lot of people who, uh, uh, who didn't appreciate that in my own tradition. You know, there were some people, and I have to say, a small minority said, you've become a Protestant. You're no longer a Catholic. But the issue is, like, we have to be able to take a look at working together, whether it's with other Christian denominations or it's with non-Christian denominations or with people who aren't believers at all. And so I just think that the important element of it is we've got to take a look at and identify the elephant in the room which is intolerance and be able to take a look at if we're serious about our faith how we recognize God in every person that we meet. I hope that's helpful.
1: Thank you. Along similar lines, can you talk about a
0: time when you have had to lead people who have a very different view than you do? Is there any situation that comes to mind? Sure. Uh, Let me give you a very concrete example. Uh, In 2003, and I think for those of you who might be, well, maybe even people in the Catholic tradition don't know this, but, you know, a a priest only becomes a bishop by being appointed so by the Pope. That's the only way it happens. And uh, whenever a priest receives an assignment, it comes directly from the Pope. And so uh, on uh, September the 30th, 2003, I get the call from Pope John Paul II saying that I was being made the Bishop of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, um, afterwards, I talked to his ambassador and said, "Can you give me a sense of what I, what I need to be focused on when I get there?" Well, it was like three days later, I get ten pages single spaced about you know th- things that that were current there, uh, and one of them uh, had to deal with uh, Catholic education and in the and in the, uh, the on the university level. And there was a real resistance uh, in the that community about passing on the faith. And there were public statements that the professor signed and said, even though we're a Catholic community, we're not going to teach the Catholic faith. So uh, when I got there, 10 days after I was installed in December of 2003, I met with the president and said, I just need to tell you, I'm not going to look the other way. We've got to address this. And uh, I know when I stepped on campus, some people looked at me and said, what are you doing here? We don't need to have you here. But what I did was uh, I uh, invited all the members of the theology faculty and the administration of the college to come to the house where I was living. No agenda. We prayed. We had dinner. Delightful evening. Three months later, they invited me to come to the college a little bit of prayer, dinner, delightful evening. So we did that for uh, four times in the first of the first year. And then when we got to the second year, I said, well, like now we need to start to talk about some substantive issues. And we were able to do so, because at that particular point, there were relationships that were established that weren't touching on the touchy issues. And so for the next two and a half years, we came to an understanding to say, hey, pal, I'm not the enemy. I'm not, as one of the people said to me, you're the wise man being sent from the east to straighten us out. But it was a reality to say, once we came to be able to see each other as we really were, then trust began to grow. And when trust began to grow, then we could come to the middle of the bridge. People could talk about what their fears were. I was able to talk about what my fears were. And lo and behold, the tension no longer exists. So I think, once again, I th- and that's the very thing I'm, I'm suggesting to our uh, our pastors now as they're moving into on mission when that all starts on October the 15th. You know, guys, the issue here is not what, what buildings you need or you don't need. The issue here right now is not taking a look at how you have to necessarily um, uh, rein in the budget. The first thing you got to do is bring people together so that they're not resisting what it means to come together as a faith community. And once you establish those relationships and you do it in simple, common, ordinary ways, Paris Festival you know, coming together for a Christmas party or whatever it is, then people begin to say, hey, wait, you know, these people are very much like me. And then eventually, as has happened in some of the parishes already, they're saying, we're ready to come together. So I would say that would be, that's an example of how that happened in my own life.
1: What What years was it that you taught in secondary um, high school? Actually, I was
0: involved in secondary education from 1974 to 1987, 13 years.
1: And so now we see times have dramatically changed since then, and I wonder if you would agree that the message of do the right thing is a lot harder to communicate now in the world of social media and the other distractions that we have for our high school students. If you could comment on that.
0: Yeah, you bet. Um, One of the goals that I uh, placed uh, on my heart um, three years ago was I wanted to make sure that I was going to go to every one of our 12 high schools and spend an entire day, not as the bishop coming to teach, but in the role of the student. And so uh, the principal then would say to the faculty, the bishop's coming, If you want to invite him to come to your class, please do so. So, you know, I learned more about calculus than I ever did when I was in high school, or chemistry, or uh, uh, Italian, or Latin, or whatever. So it was was really good. And I was able to see how the teachers were relating to the students. But I think it's uh, those kinds of personal encounters of the teachers who were there not only knowing their stuff... But also demonstrating where their convictions were, that that starts to make the young people begin to think. Uh, it is a difficulty, and I don't—I don't want to even just leave this at the at the at, at, at the feet of of young people today, but all of us. We get so absorbed with you know our iPhones. You know, that's why I didn't bring it in from the car. I said, I'm not bringing that in. I'm going to leave it in the car because I don't want to feel the thing buzzing, somebody calling me with my distraction, trying to find out who's calling. But I think that while those, 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 those tools are meant to help communication, it's actually doing the opposite. Because I think we're forgetting about the human face and the human heart. And I also want to think that that's the reason why intolerance is growing. Because our, our, our communication is with the machine. As opposed to the people who are around us. And so I think it's a matter of modeling. And I think from the perspective of those, those teachers, but I think it's also a matter of modeling from the perspective of parents. Because I think that's also one of the, the sad realities that, you know, there clearly is the breakdown in the family. And I think things, principles, you know, that when I talked about those four virtues, those are things I learned, um, you know, from my parents. But I'm not sure that you find uh as many homes today passing on those kinds of virtues that are there. So it's a matter of looking for ways to do it. And, the, and my conviction is that the, 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 the most primary way to do it is starting with, with each one of us and living the principles that are ours because kids will notice that. They'll notice the difference. And they'll come forward to start to make comments and questions while they're Minds are fresh for that kind, of, uh, that kind of stimulation. What would you suggest that us Catholics do to use those tools that are so distracting to help evangelize? I'll go back to my last comment. It's like showing that you're living your faith. You know, because I think we've become uh, so um, conditioned in our lives to say one thing and do something else. But I think when people see that there's a sincerity about a conviction that is obvious in your life, then that, I think, starts to make people think. you know. And I think if every one of us who's in the room today, if you think about somebody that you really admire, I'll bet any money, it's going to be a person who is true to who they are. Not a fake, not a phony. It was interesting, I had a conversation with a a woman... Uh, recently, who was the spouse of uh, one of uh, senior leaders in, in our in our community. And unfortunately, they had a very painful divorce. You know, But, you know, she I just said to her, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. She said, well, you know, part of what the difficulty was, she said, I could see what was happening. My hubby was the CEO of a major corporation and she said to him, she said, look, she said, the air up here is pretty thin. So you better be aware that, that that's not always going to be there. You're not always going to have your plane. You're not always going to have your yacht. You're not always going to have five houses that can come crumbling down. And so I think it's that reality that says, let's take a look. We're all standing on the same good earth. And as we're standing on the same good earth, it's an earth that God has created, and we who are standing on it have been created by God as well too. So I think that 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 becomes uh, the reality, to be exactly who you are. You know, um, it's pure and simple, and people will admire that. Do you have any personal daily routines, maybe morning or night, or just kind of that you
1: abide by to keep your mind on track?
0: Yeah, uh, I made reference to my favorite spot in the the chapel at the seminary. Uh, I'm there early in the morning, and I'm there late at night. And then the other thing that I do is every morning I work out on the treadmill. You know, I, I just have to be able to do that to, to cleanse my body and clear my mind. You know, because of all the stress that I, I feel in my life, I've got to be able to make sure I look for the right the, the right antidotes to the stress. And God's number one, you know, in terms of the prayer, and then uh, also taking care of the body that God gave me. So I do that, you know. and I'm a, a fairly... Um, Routine kind of a person, no, not a slave to it, but at the same time recognize that that's what works for me. So that's what I really try to do. But the prayer is the big piece. You know, bring, come before the Lord. Like this morning, you know, we had mass a quarter of seven before, uh, we came here, you know, but I get up pretty early. I get up about three thirty every morning, you know, to do the workout and, uh, uh, you know, get ready to get ready for the day.
1: Thank you for the um, opportunity to ask you a question. And I, my question was somewhat um, similar, was just what daily activities that you do to practice, to keep like the prudence, the fortitude, the temperance, and justice, how to, like what daily activities do you do to keep them, Yes, to to get those to grow?
0: Well, the prayer uh, the prayer is an important part of it, but also there's something else that I don't think that uh, we're also so comfortable uh, of doing. It's like, Uh, really inviting other people to give us their insights. And, you know, I think going back to the story of the CEO's wife with the thin air being so thin, I think that when you're the CEO of anything, okay, everybody's going to be kissing up to you. And people aren't going to be honest with you. And that really frustrates me. So that whenever we come together for any kind of consultation, any decision I have to make, I do consultation with my senior staff, and they're still resisting after eleven years of telling me what they think. So, to be honest with you, the, the Jesuits have a, a nice tradition that the person who's elected as their provincial he chooses somebody who has the title of socius, and the socius is the person who's going to tell him what nobody else is going to tell him. You know, is going to tell him what. Other people think he shouldn't hear, and so I have one of those people, and I specifically said that to him. I said, "This is your job," because I knew he was going to do it, and he does it. (laughs) But I think that's that's what's really important. I think so. That's how those virtues become um, they they become real, you know, because it's not my own uh, impression of who I am or how I'm living these things. You know, I may think that I've done something terrific. And he'll come over to say, pal, you better take a look at how you just said what you said. Cause it's coming across differently than I think, I think that you want to, you intend to make it. So I think that, that's really important that you have somebody in your life who's going to set you straight, you know, and that you don't become defensive on that kind of stuff, but listen carefully. And there are times I get defensive when he says that, but then I have to go back and he knows the way I am. I process and come back. You know what? You were right. You know, I need to do this a little bit differently. So I think that's what, hel- that's what helps me, to have somebody like him.
1: Uh, just last question. I always just like to close with asking a leader, one, how can we specifically pray for you? And how can we even just partner with what you're doing here in the city? Yeah, I mean, the
0: answer is I just need prayers. You know, I think in, in, the, in our tradition as Christians, uh, prayer isn't simply a matter of asking God for things for ourselves, but it's to ask for the, for the common good. And, and that's, that's what I know I need the most of. You know, absolutely so. Cause I always want to be able to make decisions that are, that are right. I make mistakes. You know, I can be misjudged, but at the same time, yeah, I'm trying to do my best. And because what's in my heart, my whole purpose in life, and I know what I'm going to be judged on when I breathe my last is David, what did you do to bring people closer to me? And so that's where it is. And I certainly want to go to heaven, you know? And so I think that's, we need to support each other on that.
1: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our question and answer session with Bishop Zubik. You can find ways to connect with him, key takeaways, and links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 194. Again, you can also go back and listen to the Bishop's talk on the four characteristics every leader must develop in episode number 193. And you can also listen to my interview with Bishop Zubik in episodes number 166 and 167. I want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They're a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. My wife, Laura, and I got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers, and we just think they're awesome. Not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. In fact, they give every couple that gets engaged a book to help them prepare for marriage, and we just love that. So if you're in need of a good jeweler, check out hennyjewelers.com. I also want to thank our other sponsor, Alex Dulandon, who's a full-time realtor with Keller Williams Realty. If you're looking to buy or sell a house in the Pittsburgh market, Alex is your guy. He is a member and a sponsor of L3 Leadership, and he would love the opportunity to connect with you. You can learn more about Alex and connect with him at PittsburghPropertyShowcase.com. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you'd subscribe, share this on social media, uh, and just leave a rating and review. That does help us grow our audience. So thank you for that in advance. And if you want to stay up to date with everything we're doing here at L3 Leadership, simply go to our website at l3leadership.org and sign up for our email list. As always, I like to end with a quote, and I'll quote Bishop Zubik from his talk. Again, if you haven't listened to this, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. But he said this, he said, Oh God, help me to lead today as if it were my first day of service my last day of service, my only day of service. That's powerful. Thank you for listening and being a part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much, and we will talk to you next episode.